0: We are the Itty Bitty Titty tip Committee.
1: Hey, Michelle. Georgie, hello. <laughs> hello, how are you doing? Well, I sound
0: sexy, right?
1: Well, sexy. <laughs> Not so sure. Oh, come on. You were trying to say a word recently on the phone i heard you on the phone to your fiance, and you were trying to say a word but every time you said that word it sounded like you were really upset (laughs) like that what was that word what was that word
0: i think i was trying to say love you or
1: bye no it was like i'm fine i'm fine it's fine (laughs) oh listen what are we going on about michelle the listeners must be beside themselves wondering what the hell well should we tell them E are eavesdropping, that's what the hell. This is a conversation, people. It is a conversation, it's a convo. We're allowing you to listen in, aren't you lucky?
0: Yeah, you get to hear me sound like I'm recovering from a chest cold.
1: Which she is, but it doesn't
0: stop her from chat, 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 chatting. Nothing oh, can no. stop me. Nothing can stop me. <laughs> There's no stopping her. So welcome to Eavesdropping. Welcome. I'm Michelle and this is my... Geordie. Yes, you are. Oh, she Geordie. was gonna say
1: this is my friend Geordie. Oh <laughs> I was gonna say, and this is my little friend Geordie. Little? <laughs> you'll find you're the little one round here.
0: And you are Eavesdropping. Officially you are called eavesdroppers. eavesdroppers. Now, I'll just tell you some exciting things. First of all, For anyone who may have listened to last week's episode and heard Geordie talking about legends of rock and roll and the occult, well, she did say... That I was talking about a film called Crossroads
1: with Britney Spears. Yes. What was the, What was that? I mean, there is a film called Crossroads with Britney Spears. She wasn't portraying a Delta Blues singer who sold his soul to the devil. No, it was a success. chick flick.
0: Uh, no, three girls on a road trip. It's gotcha. actually a Shonda Rhimes. Mm, schmaltzy. Well, she did Grey's Anatomy. I liked Grey's okay. Anatomy. She did Bridgerton. Oh. Inventing Anna You know She's kind of up there Shonda But There is actually a film Called Crossroads And it is actually about The Crossroads Sell Your Soul to the Devil Robert Johnson thing It's a musical And it's from the 80s
1: Oh And it's got Ralph Macchio in it. I thought you were going to say Michael Jackson. Don't know why he popped into my head. I guess because those (laughs) 80s musicals, you just think of, what was it called again? The Wizard of Oz ripoff, The Wiz, with Dinah Ross and Michael Jackson. They did a version.
0: I never saw that. Something maybe i can live without yeah the other the other person in this movie was an 80s actress called jamie gertz do you remember her
1: yes i do she was in lost boys she was she was the the half vampire girlfriend that's right i remember her because she looks like a couple of other actresses Mm. and one of them is the lady who played janice on friends who's janice Chandler Bing's first girlfriend.
0: I don't remember her. She was also in that movie um, Less Than Zero with Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey. I didn't see that. She was in 16 Candles. She was in a load of 80s films. Was she in 16? Mm. Okay. Do you know what? Jamie Gertz. Yes. Well, she's now married to a multi-balty billionaire. Balty billionaire? A balty multi-billionaire. <laughs> wow, lucky so, Jamie. But anyway, the upshot is there was a film called Crossroads – it wasn't the one with Britney. I have no. to say, full full confession. I think I just threw it out there, and I was quite thrilled to find that it wasn't. to find out that
1: you were correct. <laughs> Fantastic! So that's that. That was last week's episode. We talked about rock and roll and the occult. If you haven't heard it yet. Just go back and listen because it was a bloody good listen, I reckon. If you're into music, if you're into things like Sonny and Cher and (laughs) David Bowie, then you'll find some interesting witchy facts and spacey facts in there. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. When I say facts, (laughs) whenever we say facts, just bear in mind that that's very loose, that term very loose in this world.
0: We should come up with our own encyclopedia
1: of facts. False and... Oh, I see. What could C be? Compromising, <laughs> outrageous. I don't know. Yeah. All of the all the things we say are usually compromising and outrageous.
0: So false and compromising, bits.
1: Is- Speaking of our episode last week when you discussed Perry Farrell and uh, Jane's, Jane's addiction, addiction, did you end up tweeting him?
0: I have not yet. It's not an update because it is the update episode this week. Is this... Oh, that's what we're giving you, listeners. It's the update episode. It is the update episode. And look, I just want you to put a pin in this whole idea of Perry Farrell and Jane's addiction because I do have something for
1: you a little later on. Fantastic. Can I tell you something, which is a bit of an update, Michelle? It's a bit of a sad update, actually. Okay, shit, what? Well, you know, we were together at the weekend in your lovely um, place where you like to spend time in the Alps. Yes. That was nice. It is a bubble, everybody. Uh, Michelle does talk about living in a bubble. She bloody does. So <laughs> you, you don't get any news. You don't know what's going on if you're not skiing or drinking or eating, eating or walking. <laughs> Life doesn't exist outside of those spheres, really. But what we missed, Michelle, on Saturday, when we were having a right old knees up in a club, well, Barry Humphreys passed away. That's Dame Edna Everidge and Sir Les Patterson, a.k.a. they're his alter egos. Barry Humphreys, he was 89, one of the most amazing comedians and drag acts. I suppose you could call them a drag act because Dame Edna was essentially a drag persona. Was he really the first? To, Not the first. No, the first to be have public acceptance and recognition as a man in a drag. I would never say that because there are others, and mm. particularly Danny LaRue. You've got to remember him. But he died on a Saturday night, aged 89, after complications from a recent hip surgery, Michelle. Oh, and gosh. it's very sad. He's a wonderful – I mean, I think he was a bit controversial, some of the things that he said. Uh, I think his politics were a little controversial. I mean, he could get away with it when he was dressed up as Dame Edna Everidge. She just, she looked like my nana, I have to say. (laughs) I had such an affiliation with Edna. And I did actually see the Dame Edna talk show live with my husband many years ago. We were in the audience while it was being filmed. The episode with Daniel. No, who's the Baldwin that is in trouble at the moment? Alec. Yes. That guy. So that was an interesting show to be in the audience for. But the thing is, just before he passed away, he had been cancelled, Michelle. Oh, what had he done? I don't know if you know this, but he and another amazing comedian, Peter Cook, who sadly passed away a long time ago, Pete and Dud, they started the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in Barry Humphrey's hometown of Melbourne, many, many years ago in the 80s, and there was even an award that was handed out, kind of like the Perrier Award, you know, for for emerging new comic talent, comedy talent, called the Barry Award. But that was scrapped uh, recently because of some of the comedians complained about some comments that he had made, uh, transphobic, basically, remarks. But now, because he's passed away and they want to acknowledge what he has contributed to, In actual fact, this comedy festival and comedy, they're trying to uncancel him. So I don't know how that's going to go. We'll see. Controversy. I would love to know exactly what he said. I know what he said, but I didn't want to repeat it.
0: Oh, so it was quite bad? Well,
1: it wasn't horrifically bad. It's just an old person's view of what gender... I think he he called, you know, changing your gender physically to be some kind of mutilation for a start. He said a few things which were kind of outrageous in this day and age. Was he saying them as a comedian in one of
0: his personas or as himself? I'm not sure. I think it was as himself.
1: But, I mean, if it was Edna saying that, like I said, she could get away with anything. She's your nana. Nanas say shit. And Les Patterson with his bad teeth and his... Beer spitting Spitting. over everyone. He is the epitome of bad taste and that's his job. Yes. The cultural attaché. That was his role. (laughs) The cultural attaché to Australia and it's his job to be upsetting. (laughs) Amazing. Can I just add one more thing on while we're talking about cultural attachés and Australians behaving badly – I had a little message from one of our researchers this morning. Very well-timed. Thank you, Al Teggett. Okay. Regarding our patron saint, who doesn't get a lot of mentions these days. And I'm aware you've got things to tell me, Michelle, but I just want to tell you this because it kind of segues. It's Ben Mendelsohn. Okay. The actor, Ben Mendelsohn, who we have lauded here on this podcast. I don't know if he's a listener and if not, why not, Ben? For fuck's sake, get listening because he was seen in London and Al has said I need to get looking, get searching for him because he was just out and about in the streets the other day, Michelle, looking dishevelled. There was an article from news.com.au saying, <laughs> oh, poor Ben, Aussie actor Ben Mendelssohn appears dishevelled on streets of London.
0: <laughs> now, <laughs> oh, Poor Ben. It's funny you should say this because... I have this story for you. The news about Bendel's has been pretty thin on the ground for quite some yes. time. But I did discover this exact thing you're talking about. Did you see the pictures? Oh, yes. He was papped <laughs> on Regent Street looking. Was that where he was? He was on Regent Street looking crazy. I love him. He was in this pinstripe blazer with yes, a, and a t-shirt. t-shirt. I'm
1: not joking. He's got a bit of a. Brown lemonade belly. He did not look good in this T-shirt. He was on the brown lemonades, I believe, on this occasion. Some afternoon drinking then, unless it was the morning. He looked as rough as fucking dog balls, I tell you.
0: But the T-shirt said, no excuses. It was my fault. And he had this teeny tiny little blue straw hat. Panama style hat on, yeah. It looked like he was sort of trying to go incognito. But you know what London paparazzi is
1: like. Well, they I wouldn't have known. I would have just avoided that man like the plague if I'd seen him on the street. <laughs> Apparently he was trying to um, direct the bicycles and then he stopped and shattered. Well. He had runny nose. Well, that's it. That's his video of him strutting oh down
0: Regent Street. Strutting. Yeah. Right down Oxford Circus. It's kind of hilarious. He's then walking into the middle of a footpath, starts directing pedestrians. The bikes
1: and pedestrians. God love him.
0: There is snot running out of his nose. He had a cold. He stopped outside the L'Occitane store on uh, Regent <laughs> Street, pulls out a sticky. And starts giving traffic signals to people walking past. Then you see pictures of him signing autographs. He's chatting with fans. He's laughing it up. And there's this kind of crowd forming around him all the time. Fucking bugs streaming out. Would of you have told n- him? Yes, I would have said, Ben, you, you need, need a tissue. tissue or wipe it on your sleeve, mate. I would have given
1: him a tissue. But do you know what?
0: I saw the snot.
1: I saw it. There is a yeah, picture. It was, thick. it was thick and juicy. Yes. Super
0: runny, dripping Into his mouth. There's this one photo Ah! where it's dripping into his mouth and he doesn't even care.
1: He's just smiling away. I love him. Actually, I do feel like I'm related to him, I have to say. (laughs) Honestly, I didn't realise Al had
0: come across this. Thank you, Al. Honestly, I thought this story is going to be as juicy as what's coming out of his nose for you. (laughs) It was pretty crazy. But you know what? There is a website, which honestly, I think they are slightly obsessed with Ben. It's called net. Oh. They've got all this shit
1: about Ben Mendelssohn And I don't think any of it's true. Is this where you get your info? Do you remember you, you said that he was having a baby, then you changed your mind?
0: Yes, that's right. Well, I think people just are raking up nothing because this article said that
1: he's in the running to be named time magazine's person of the year 2023 do you think his agent said to him ben come to london we need to get you out there people just can't get access to you you've got one post on your bloody instagram page i know because i follow him and you need to be more accessible to fans in order to win more awards and things because you're in the running to be person of the year ben come on step up so he said i (laughs) got and had a couple of drinks hit the town is this what you mean? Ringing them up. I did what you said.
0: I'm in the papers. <laughs> well, the thing is, Jordy, Al did come up with this
1: term, Baywit. He was a bit Baywittish that day, wasn't he?
0: There was a picture of Ben. You know how you do this thing where you go, and your shoulders go up, and he's got that face. Yeah, there is a picture of him doing that face, and it just <laughs> cracked me up. Paul Ben. Maybe his press agent said... Got to get some eyes on you, Ben. Get out there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He He did it the best way he knows how. God love him.
0: Also on this same website, they said Ben secretly got married. They don't say to who. Lucky lady. In the next article, say that he's secretly homosexual. What? They also say he's considering retiring
1: this year. Oh.
0: But they also say he's in line to be the next James Bond. Oh, for
1: God's sake. He's not tall enough.
0: No. And they say his dog had surgery. Oh, that's interesting.
1: People are a bit
0: Ben crazy right now, but yeah. honestly, nothing was crazier than the books hanging out of his nose in that picture.
1: <laughs> so, Bay it's a Bay no shirt and thong, What a ding oh, oh, with Bay it's a Bay big gut hanging out, giddy 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 guy. Oh, no, I don't even know. Yes, what the what the fuck? I was
0: hoping to have something a little juicy, juicier than Ben's nose for you this week. Because as anyone who knows, since the early days of this podcast, and maybe actually even from the start of 2021, we've been obsessed... With a missing Australian fraud star called Melissa Caddick and yes. her severed foot. Now, obviously, we haven't talked about her for quite some time because… No, we haven't. Well, the case hasn't really been in the news that much lately. And I'd
1: love to know what's going on, Michelle. Have you been proven right? Is she still alive? Did she actually just cut off her foot to evade fraud uh, investigations? Well, yes, yes, yes. Or- No, (laughs) or is she actually, did she just befall a terrible accident? Maybe at the hands of biker gangs, which is my take. That that
0: is your theory. And look, I think there could be some legs that might have wheels. But it won't have feet. (laughs) It's all about to kick off with Melissa Caddick, yes, because the inquest into her death officially, as of April 27, is supposedly officially over. And the findings of the inquest into her disappearance and, I'm doing air quotes here, suspected death, they are due to be handed down on, on April 27. Thing is... We've passed April 27. I've scoured the internet. I think there's a media embargo on this shit wow. until they get their ducks in a row because there is nothing. I'm just going to do a quick recap for anyone who maybe missed our Melissa Caddick deep dives or who is a new eavesdropper. So on November 12 in 2020, 49-year-old financial investor Melissa Caddick went missing. And look, on the surface of it, it just seemed like a pretty kind of tragic situation where a woman had potentially fallen off the cliffs at Dover Heights, which is on the eastern coast of Sydney near Bondi. But turns out Melissa Kadik, she was a financial fraud star. She'd been running a dodgy Ponzi scheme. She hadn't just been, you know, conning clients. She conned all her friends and family out of massive amounts of cash. We're talking like 23 million plus Aussie dollars. Terrible. Yeah. And the day before she went missing – She'd been raided by the Australian Federal Police and the Australian Securities Commission who'd been investigating her for months since she vanished. There have been loads of theories about what's happened to her which obviously were all ramped up three months later when her foot washed up inside a snazzy trainer on Bunda Beach, 400k away from Sydney. And the whole world, except for me, (laughs) Jumped to the conclusion that she was dead. Right. Look, there is so much to unpack with this case. So please go back and listen, guys, if you have any interest in it.
1: Do you know which episode is the first time you mentioned it?
0: Absolutely not. But I will link to the episode
1: (laughs) in the show notes.
0: But look, just to wrap up, as I mentioned, the inquest into the case has supposedly been wrapped up and it's been going on since September last year. And look, it did reveal... A tiny little sliver of new information <gasps> about the
1: foot. Because you'd spoken to a surgeon even, hadn't you? You'd spoken to somebody.
0: Yes, I went and spoke to a surgeon about how the severing of that foot, could you still survive if you had cut it off yourself? Would a clean break like that indicate that it had been ripped off,
1: cut, you know, eaten by a shark? Was it severed, you know, deliberately cut off? Was it a clean break though? Because wasn't it just bits and pieces left in the trainer? It wasn't the whole foot. It was the whole foot. It was matter. Well, look, it was her whole foot,
0: but it had been in that warm bacteria. Time. I mean, we know what Australian waters are like. They're full what of... Full of wee-wees. I, actually, I was going to say... Um, <laughs> Shark wee-wee? No. All right. No, little bacteria and insects and things that all want to kill you. I mean...
1: You mean like sea lice? Sea lice and just...
0: Loads of weird stuff in our waters that only occur when you have hot tropical waters. In colder waters, these things can't survive. But in Australian waters, because it's nice and warm, things thrive, bacteria thrives. So during this inquest, a forensic pathologist did reveal that Melissa's severed foot actually did have several fractures when it was found. Mm. and. This is new information. No one has mentioned this before. However, the pathologist then did go on to say that those fractures were not a lethal injury. Unpacking that, I'm not sure if what they're saying is that the foot was fractured before or after it was separated from her
1: body. Yeah, I think she fell. And what, the foot just fell off? Or Or she was pushed. (laughs) Yeah, I think that it was probably chomped off, no? Well, I wonder if this is going to come out in the inquest. Or was she captured by bikers and then tortured?
0: I think she went to a surgeon and and asked for it to be chopped off.
1: This is my theory. Fuck's sake.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think without knowing how that foot was severed, whether it was, like you say, chomped off, cut off, if it had been ripped off, if it was God knows what. But what I think that basically saying is that the fractures they did find on that foot were not going to kill her make of that what you will although as you know I think she's living it up with a new face and one foot on a beach in the middle of nowhere (laughs) you know this inquest has been going on for almost seven months during this this inquest they have focused on a few key things including the police investigation the actions of her husband, Anthony Coletti, and yeah. why he had so much time and delay in reporting her disappearance. Because he took his sweet time to tell the police she was yes. missing more than 24 hours. And those mm-hmm. hours are crucial. Yes. And the inquest apparently has looked really hard at the scientific evidence about the foot and the ocean currents and what all the the level of bacteria and whatever that they found on the foot and what it all means. So, even Mm. though these findings haven't come out, and I think they will in the next few days, at this stage, apparently, Anthony Colletti is not accused of any wrongdoing in relation to either her dodgy Ponzi dealings or her death. Okay. And another thing that the court was looking into was that in the initial stages of the investigation, the police had two theories about Melissa, that she'd either gone into hiding to avoid being thrown into jail, or she killed herself. And What did come up during this inquest is that Homicide Squad was not brought in during the first week of the investigation into her disappearance because according to New South Wales Police Standard Operating Procedure, the Homicide Squad must be told about a case if they think it could be murder or if there are any suspicious circumstances. And this is full of suspicious
1: circumstances. Sure. Sure. Well, why didn't they let them know then? If it was so suspicious from the off, why didn't they involve the homicide squad immediately? Well, the head of
0: missing persons is a guy called Inspector Brown. He has been hauled over the coals for this. And he's come back to this inquest saying the wording of what he thought he was meant to do in the operations manual was unclear. Mm. And because he thought that there was no murder in this case, He never got homicide involved. So he's kind of trying to get off the hook by saying, oh, it was really unclear wording, didn't know what to do. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. Like I said, I think the information has been embargoed right now because it should have come out today or yesterday in the press. So watch this space
1: for updates. Okay. Watch and and listen. Yep. Why are you crying?
0: Drop it. I know this next little titty-bitty is not an update.
1: (laughs) But I do love your titty-bitties, your itty-bitty titties.
0: We are the itty bitty titty
1: tit committee. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) What I was looking for was an update on Calvin because we know that it's been in the media lately. Yes. You know, I was hoping that the guy from, you know, who actually took those photos. Kevin
1: yes calvin now what's his name kevin from kevin from calvine yes uh
0: hopefully he may have come forward saying yes it was me no no such but thing. he's
1: made up so it's not going to happen i saw
0: the picture of him from the All 80s right. he's okay or the 90s he's real he's as real as neil okay i did come across something else which i thought i just have to share because i just thought you know if as if the Ukraine does not have enough on its plate right now.
1: Yeah. They think a UFO crashed there recently. But that ha- they also thought that at the beginning of the war. Yes. Do you remember? We covered that another time.
0: Yes, we did. This new one happened on the 19th of April this year. There
1: you go. What?
0: So apparently a massive white light shot through the sky over Kiev and no one knows what the fuck it was. And it was intense. And apparently in four separate pieces of footage, you can see this light suddenly ripping through the sky before a flaming object crashes to the ground. And it triggered an air raid alert. And all of this happened around 10 o'clock at night. And a guy called Sergi Popko, who is the Kiev City military administration guy, he said... It's an unknown aerial object. Okay. Now, he said it was most likely a possible entry into the Earth's atmosphere of a large space body from any World Aerospace Agency. Huh? Now, basically, I think what that means is they have no clue who sent, whatever the fuck it was, into, like, Kiev airspace. Although, he later says, after verification and clarification, the information regarding the probable use of Enemy aircraft or an airstrike with missile weapons was not confirmed, but it was not a missile attack. And then he says, Our anti aircraft defense did not use available weapons, so they were not on high alert that they were being attacked. There was no
1: incoming, unless it's a new experimental weapon or is it a falling satellite? But it just seems to be very coincidental that it should land there, hot spot in a war zone,
0: exactly. Following morning. Not a single trace of whatever crashed wow. into the ground was found. And this was confirmed by a guy called Yuri Inat, who was a spokesperson for Air Force Command of the Armed Forces Gosh. in Ukraine. And they initially thought it was NASA or, and a NASA satellite. Mm.
1: That's what I'd have thought.
0: Well, NASA were meant to be pulling a particular satellite out of action that day. Mm. But NASA has denied it was them. So that's them off the list. Maybe they fucked up and they didn't want to own up. Well, who knows? Because we know that they don't come clean about this shit. And it could be years and redacted files and maybe even then we won't know the truth. Never know. But the whole thing blew up on Twitter. There were loads of people tweeting saying it was a UFO, including the Austrian ambassador in Kiev. Uh huh. So that's where we are with this. Not anyone, not even NASA, knows what flashed and crashed and burned that night. And if they do know, they're not letting on. And then my last little itty-bitty-titty. Chitty-bitty. bitty, chitty titty, bitty. Chitty bitty. Um, <laughs> Going back to what you <laughs> – shit the stick. Going back to what you talked about with um, Jane's addiction, yeah, Harry Farrell. Like I said, you know, we did talk about him uh, a couple of weeks ago and his spiritual exchange with an angel.
1: And I did want to tweet him, but I need to find that password. Because he's answering questions on Twitter as we speak about his spiritual encounters. I want to connect with him on this spirity
0: stuff. I did go looking to see if he'd had any more, like, tweets to anyone. What I did come across instead was something about Dave Navarro.
1: The guitarist. The guitarist Um, from Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes. And he was the guy that was standing there with his top off, ready to go on stage when we were backstage at Reading that time. Oh, my God. Hot. But you didn't seem to see him. Well, I don't know. He was right there next to us.
0: You know, I'd had some drinks. (laughs) 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 I'd had a lot of drinks that day. So I think I kind of knew this but forgot. So I thought I would take a very, very quick look at the murder of Dave Navarro's mother. Oh, I didn't know she was murdered. Constance Colleen Hopkins. Yeah, like you said, Dave Navarro guitarist in Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers. He was also married to Carmen Electra and he's been a host and a judge on a tattoo TV show called Ink Master oh. since 2012. But anyway, when Dave was seven years old, uh, I think around 74, 75, his parents, Connie, and his dad, James Raul Navarro, they split. They they divorced. And Connie was gorgeous. She's blonde, a former model, the Dad was this, like, handsome Mexican guy. And after the divorce, Dave split his time between his parents, you know, bouncing back and forth between them in, in LA. Thing is, in 1983, Connie had been dating a, a muscle dude, a, a bodybuilder called John Riccardi. But she broke it off with him, and by all accounts, he had a really hard time accepting that the relationship was over. In fact, I read that he'd been stalking her for a few months after the breakup. That's not sexy Really unsexy He was also a muscle guy Also not sexy I don't like those kind of guns Not for me No, no. keep the guns
1: You like it the opposite, don't you? I like a little skinny mini I (laughs) do Oh, I thought you liked it a little bit more Like of a flesh covering But with a bit more kind of like marshmallow consistency (laughs) You have said in the past James Scandolfini. There's something
0: sexy about that dude And he ain't got a single muscle I mean, he is dead now. But anyway, moving right along. Um, wow! What I like him skinny. I like a big guy. I, if you're nice, I like you. That's the main thing. <laughs> That's not true. What? <laughs> We're gonna have to unpack that another time. So back to Dave Navarro, who I think he is quite handsome, actually.
1: Not for me, but I see it. He's yes. he's got that
0: Johnny Depp look about him.
1: He's definitely very flashy looking. Isn't he, he is. He's got. He's covered
0: in tats. So mum broken up with this, like, muscle guy. He'd been stalking her. Yeah. I also read, and this is in February of 83, he'd broken into Connie's condo. So that's quite a mouthful. He didn't find Connie there. Instead, he found Dave there. Handcuffed (gasps) Dave. Baby Dave. Handcuffed baby Dave at gunpoint. That's horrifying. Dude's 15. He's fifteen at this point. Oh, I thought he was five, sorry. I, I mean he's still baby faced Dave, but no, he's not baby baby Dave. I thought okay. you meant baby Dave as in Hey Baby. Anyway. Thing is, Dave never reported it to the police, neither did the oh, mom. Oh,
1: that's terrifying for poor Dave.
0: I mean look, maybe they didn't want to aggravate this guy. Yeah. It's the eighties. Maybe he was jacked up on steroids. I don't know. Oh God. On the night of March third, nineteen eighty three, like I said, Dave was fifteen. He was meant to be staying with his mum for the night, but at the last minute he changed his mind mm-hmm. and decided he was going to go stay with his dad instead, I think in Santa Monica. So Connie asked her friend, Sue Jory, to come over and stay the night with her, who Dave actually calls his aunt. I don't know if that's like a friend or, you know, an auntie, like one of those fake aunties. She came round that night to stay with Connie in the, in the flat which was a terrible move because oh, later no. that night Connie's ex John Riccardi once again broke into Connie's uh, West LA condo. Yes. This time he did not handcuff Connie. Instead, he shot both her and her friend Sue. <gasps> yeah. And oh, that's awful. And police later found Connie who was 41 at this stage. They found her body stuffed inside a linen closet.
1: Oh, my God. So, the
0: thing is, John Riccardi then spent the next eight years on the run before he was finally arrested in Houston. How many? Eight years. That's too many years. Eight fucking years. They knew who it was. Yeah, on the run. But remember, this is the 80s and police systems are not joined up, definitely not between right. states. He's gone, he's gone to Houston from California they did an America's Most Wanted on him.
1: On this guy, right. Yeah.
0: And he was found because of it after some tip-offs from the public. I'm not sure about this, but I think actually Dave Navarro went on and talked about, like, please help me find my mum.
1: No, help me find the killer of my mum. Sorry, help me find the killer of my mum. Yeah. And this is
0: 91. So Jane's addiction were not massive at this point. And he was nowhere near being in the... Chili Peppers. So at this point, I don't think he's famous. They tracked this guy down, John Riccardi. That was the year they blew up. Yeah, that's true, actually. You're more of a fan than I am. I only liked a few of their songs. Some of them were not that great. They tracked down this guy, brought him in for questioning, and he admitted that, yes, he and Connie were on bad terms after the
1: split, but he denied killing her. What? What about Dave would have divulged by now that he'd been handcuffed and held at gunpoint as a teenager?
0: Exactly. But look, the court was having none of this and they called bullshit on it because in 1994 he was convicted of the murders of both Connie and poor old Sue who just happened to be wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, He was put on death row. thing is the California Supreme Court overturned this death row sentence in 2012 because there apparently had been a fuck-up with the juror selection process at the time back in the 90s. But thankfully, John Riccardi was not released. His prison sentence was just changed to life without parole,
1: which means no. this guy is never getting out of jail. Never getting out, hopefully. No. What a monster.
0: Absolute fucking monster. And there is a documentary that Dave Navarro did about wow. all of this. And it's called Morning Sun, as in morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and S-O-N. Okay. So a little bit of a play on words. And full disclosure, I've not watched it. I tried to find this documentary, but I did watch the trailer. And the thing is, it was really, really intense watching this because we talk a lot about murder on this podcast. Yeah. I, I just think that we some, sometimes just talk about it in a really detached way. Yes, of course. We don't talk about it with the idea of like real people and their families and – yeah. You know, we'd look at it at basically the facts of a case in a really detached way. And what really struck me watching the trailer was it looks really harrowing. You know, the effects of this really touched, obviously, Dave Navarro. It fucked up his whole life. Yes. And we observe these things from a distance of time and space. But this poor guy had his whole life, his whole world destroyed. And, you know, and he spiraled into heroin um, to kind of numb the, the fucked upness mm-hmm. of it all. Although he did say he was already into drugs by this stage when his mum was murdered, 15, like that's quite intense.
1: He's an LA kid though.
0: Exactly. He's an LA kid, you know, obviously into rock and roll. So I think this documentary goes a lot into his own personal journey into the trauma. Mm. And apparently there is a scene where he gets into a limo and goes to confront his mum's killer. In prison. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. And because of prison policy, they don't let him record it. Uh-huh.
1: But he had his moment?
0: He had his moment, but it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. He thought he was going to be really angry. Apparently, it was just really awkward and he came out of mm. it just saying he's just like an old dude dying in jail. Far so I really want to see this documentary. Yeah, um, sounds interesting. Yeah. Like I said, it's called Morning Sun. I'll I'll link to the trailer and okay. um, if anyone can find a link to this, um, let me know because I'd love to see it. So it wasn't an update on uh, Perry and the tweets, but there's
1: a little titty-bitty for you about Dave Navarro. Amazing. Thank you, Michelle. I'll oh, rack off you, Dag. Piss <laughs> <laughs> off. So, no, I can fire Get see, see you next day. Tuesday. Give me black dog up. Yeah. So what you just said about us Talking about murder and the victims of murder and the facts established of murders that are out there in the public domain has always bothered me when we talk about this stuff on this podcast. Obviously, there are people whose lives have been taken in usually horrible ways. And then there are the lives of the people left behind as well. So my update today is focused, first of all, on a recent story that we did. It was actually the very first episode of January this year, and it was my reporting of something that had just happened the day that I got to Australia for Christmas, the Wyambula Massacre. Right. which yes. happened, like I said, in December 2023. 22. 22, sorry. And you can find that series four, episode three. So it wasn't the first episode. Sorry, it was the third. It is, just to recap you, the story of Nathaniel and Gareth Train, brothers who were raised in Happy Clappy style mm. mini- ministries. Their father was a bit dodgy, maybe, let's just call it, because he was kicked out of the church and then started his own church. And whilst at the church, they met Stacy who is now Stacy Train, and she was married originally to Nathaniel, one of the brothers, but then swip-swapped and went over to Gareth. And these three people were in a rural property in Queensland, in a place called Wyambola, when there was a siege where people were murdered, like I said, in December 2022. Two police Officers from Queensland and a neighbour were all murdered before all three perpetrators were shot and killed by police after a long standoff. It's quite shocking. So there aren't many updates because what you see is what you get with this case, really. There was a lot of questioning over whether or not it should be, the inquiry should be focusing on the fact that this was a terrorist organisation. But I don't know what they came up with regards to that because I found this fascinating story with nathaniel and stacy's daughter they've got two grown-up children and madeline train is the daughter of nathaniel and stacy and stepdaughter of uncle gareth which is weird enough sentence in itself so she said that the three of these people who she considered to be her parents all three were so far into the conspiracy theories that she had routinely muted all notifications on her phone from them. Madeline remembers that Nathaniel and Stacy, her birth parents, parted ways when she was around three years old and then her mother started a relationship with Nathaniel's brother, Uncle Gareth, as mm. I like to keep calling him. <laughs> just because it makes it sound so weird. Madeline claims that this swapperoo was amicable, but mostly it was for her sake and her younger brother's sake, just to keep, you know, the kids... Happy. Yeah. She also said that the three had become estranged from their own families because they believed they had been exposed to a pedophile while they were children. What? The three adults in this situation, raised by in a religious environment, yep. felt that they had been exposed to a pedophile as children. That was their backstory, okay. and I don't know more than that. But that's why. They were keeping it amicable for the children's sake. And they always listened to everything that any child ever told them. They always took them seriously. As you remember, if you listen to the episode, both Stacey and Nathaniel were quite high up in the Australian education departments as head teachers and whatnot, like principals, they call it there, in primary schools. So there are no official reports or evidence about this paedophile interaction with them. But Madeline does believe that it was this trauma from their childhood that led to their descent into conspiracy and mistrust of authority, despite standing by their religion. They remained incredibly religious all the way through. Madeline was mostly raised by Gareth, who is her stepfather and uncle, and Stacey. But sometimes she spent time with Nathaniel, who's her birth father, before she attended boarding school. Now, Gareth the uncle, was a stay-at-home dad. And he's the older brother of the two, and I think the driving force behind all of this. Madeline remembers he would apply for jobs but not get them, which Madeline feels that was maybe contributing to the spiral into online conspiracy theories that he... He had too much time on his hands. He had too much time, exactly. So he's sitting there devouring sensational YouTube videos and the like. And once the kids left home and the pandemic hit, he had even more time to indulge Mm. in this, and it became a full-time habit. So like I said, they still maintained their religious beliefs, which had primed them for their belief in the apocalypse and end-of-world scenarios. So they were also against vaccinations as well. And this was a narrative brewing amongst a lot of people, especially in Australia, there was some very strong and still is strong reaction to government mandates because they came down quite hard. And if people are going to force you to do something that is your right, it's your body, then I fair enough that people are going to react. But these guys in particular took it even further because of their indoctrinations, I suppose. Soon, all three of Madeline's parent figures had gone down that rabbit hole and Due to the inundation of doomy messages that she was getting on her phone, ping, 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 she asked them, please, can you just write to me? Yeah. Because she couldn't handle the calls and she had to mute them. Like I said, it was just too distressing. She says... They would call me randomly just to talk about weird shit and I felt like I can't do this. You need to, like, send me an email so that I can access it on my own time. I hated it. I would mute all the notifications because I rarely got a text. I get excited. It was them. Mm. And then it wasn't nice.
0: No. I mean, that's the kind of family WhatsApp group you just put on
1: mute. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's too much. You can't leave. No, you can't leave. it makes you look like you've thrown your mic down. Yeah, no, but you, you just get rid of that. Exactly. So Madeline believes that all three of her parents should have received mental health treatment. And after the shooting, she herself has suffered with her own mental health. And she's advocating for an increased understanding of how trauma can impact people's lives. It's not surprising. You know, what
0: she endured is fucked up.
1: Absolutely. So that poor woman has to live with the knowledge that her parents were responsible for the taking of three innocent people's lives. And now her mental health, like I said, has suffered but she said that the judgment for her parents, or three of them, is reserved for God. Oh, so
0: she's quite religious. Okay, yeah. interesting.
1: Eavesdropping. 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 You know, you always hark back to Melissa Caddick. I tend to hark back to Keith Ranieri, who is our favourite cult leader. From Nixium, the sex cult, the Hollywood sex cult. He is the cult leader
0: that just keeps on giving, you know. He keeps giving. (laughs) He
1: does. (laughs) I've got some interesting information here, actually, but it's not that recent. The most recent info I've got is from January this year. It's from the Daily Mail. And I just want to preempt this by saying that in season four, episode one, this was the first episode of the year. I followed up from a deep dive in season one where Michelle and I both watched the documentary called The Vow, which is about this sex cult nixium, which was run by sex-mad short ass Keith Ranieri (laughs) and his business partner, Nancy (laughs) Soltman. He's tiny. He is teeny tiny. And it was interesting for people because it involved actor Alison Mack from Smallville and it was the daughter of, uh, what's her name from? From Dynasty or something, yeah, what? Catherine yeah. Oxenberg's daughter. Catherine Oxenberg's daughter, India, was involved. A lot of people, you know, fell for yeah. this and then it all went to shit.
0: And they were smart people. Smart people seeking
1: some kind of spiritual guidance, mm-hmm. actually. The vow followed that part of the story mm-hmm. up until the arrest and uh, the arrest of Keith Ranieri and his cronies. But then The Val series, too, follows Nancy Saltzman, who was strangely missing from the first documentary, and you mm. felt that she was just as bad and as guilty as Keith Ranieri. But in my story, it kind of follows her, you know, run up into the trial with her little ankle bracelet on, watching her experience regret and shame, while at the same time discovering that there are still people who, to our horror, support Keith Ranieri and think he's still the bee's knees. And also, if I'm not mistaken there was a little bit of,
0: you know, empathy for what Nancy Salzman went through because
1: she was kind of a victim
0: in many ways too.
1: She was brainwashed. She discovered she'd been gaslit by him. She discovered that he allowed one of his girlfriends to die in a horrible way and she was almost... Connected to that because she was an ex-nurse and she was helping, but she was being held back from helping in time because he wanted his breakfast and he wanted this, that. He was like, no, make her wait, before she realised when she got there that this woman had spent an entire night in a wet, soiled bed in her last days, her last hours of life with cancer. Horrific. Then she discovered to her horror that one of her daughters had been in a relationship with Keith Ranieri where she'd been promised a child and it never came to fruition because she was constantly being punished mm. and she was one of the main people who started this vow part of DOS it was called part of the um, cult where they secretly enlisted women had them branded with Keith's initials and had them act out degrading acts and tell degrading stories about themselves to use against them as way of um, collateral what's that against collateral them. yeah it's fucked up all this is fact bear that in mind pin that so in this update in the article I found, little Keith Ranieri is due to be moved to a violent, highly segregated prison to live out the rest of his 120-year sentence. If you remember from my episode, he was actually in an Arizona jail where he was able to still communicate with his followers yep. from outside doing torch signals and things. So meanwhile, with him about to be moved... His legal team are attempting to block the transfer over fears he'll be killed inside Mm. because Michelle, 62-year-old Ranieri, who could be transferred to one of the Federal Bureau's management units, which is known as Guantanamo North, Okay, this is where some of the USA's most violent offenders and terrorists and extremists are living out their days and his convictions ranieri's convictions from 2019 on charges of sex trafficking forced labor conspiracy wire fraud conspiracy and racketeering charges with underlying acts that included possession of child pornography extortion and identity theft because remember he stole people's documents he was in relationships with girls under age and there's filmed evidence of that ended up with him in jail in like i said arizona and in 2022 in september He was actually the victim of a vicious attack from another inmate where he was knocked unconscious by another sex trafficking criminal who was inside. And then Keith was moved to a segregated windowless cell for 23 hours of a day for about 196 days next to. And I don't know why this is included in the information is released by his attorneys an intersex inmate in a cage smeared in human shit, which was apparently extremely unpleasant for him.
0: Yeah, but it's next to him. It's not It's not his cell. No. And the thing is, I think they've kind of got it right, that they're lumping Keith Ranieri in with some of the most dangerous criminals in America because, okay, so, I mean, his crimes are pretty fucked up, but, you know, he's not a serial killer. He's not any of that. He is a fucking dangerous master manipulator. And that, I think, is incredibly powerful and dangerous for people He should be locked up. Because
1: he's still working his magic from behind bars.
0: On people from... Just with a flashlight, he's still working his magic. He's got fucking something that turns people. Absolutely.
1: So his legal team are beside themselves because even though Ranieri's attacker is no longer at the prison, he remained in that isolation cell until his team stepped in and got a judge to order the prison to provide an explanation as to why he was kept there for so long. It wasn't for his own safety, basically. So he's expected to be moved to either Indiana or Illinois, and I think that's probably happened but I couldn't find the information, Mm -hmm. in a prison designed to completely isolate prisoners from other inmates and the outside world. The inmates there have all communications with the outside world monitored, which I think is a good thing for him, like we just said, to protect the safety and security of the community. Yep, But... Keith Renieri has a power of attorney, a man called Sunil Chakravorty, and he believes that the transfer plans are retaliatory since Keith is trying to challenge his conviction on the grounds that the FBI allegedly tampered with evidence in this case. And that's worrying, Michelle. Fucking hell. Because his legal team, power of attorney Chakravorty, believes Renieri was silenced and says that there have been seven computer experts, forensic experts, including four former FBI examiners willing to testify about clear evidence of the FBI's wrongdoing. Ranieri is also putting his foot down from within. He doesn't want to move. He's launching all sorts of claims. But really, it's up to the Bureau of Prisons to determine whether he will be transferred to a low or medium security facility, which is what he wants. His legal team are working on the belief that evidence against him, which the prosecution said was the bare bones and the absolute damning evidence of the trial, that this evidence was manipulated, planted, and tampered with while in FBI custody. His attorneys claim that his wrongful treatment include him being banned from communicating with close friends and his power of attorney, and this is all in retaliation for exposing the alleged government wrongdoing.
0: Now, look, I I really struggle with that because, first of all... If it's
1: true, that's terrible.
0: If it's true, but I struggle with thinking it's true because, as we know from... The vow season 1 this guy was such a narcissist that he recorded every single moment of his life yes, and he did he basically incarcerated himself like he he really did everything that he did wrong was documented either visually with
1: videos or tapes so i find it really hard to believe that that's not to mention the actual witness statements in court yep. a lot of those underage girls Ended up standing up and saying what had happened to them, being imprisoned, although she hadn't, the door was never locked, you know, things like that. That's the power mm-hmm. he had. Yeah. He was able to imprison a girl, an underage girl, for almost a year, I think it was. There was no locks on the door. Yeah. She could have gone at any time. She didn't even. It didn't occur to her. Well, she was so mentally
0: fucking broken that she never even tried to get out.
1: Look, I can't
0: speak to whether or not there was wrongdoing in the way that the case was handled because, as we've just seen with Dave Navarro's mum, all those years later, he's off death row because there was a fuck up with the jury selection
1: process shit like this happens it does happen there's always a way yeah there is always a way so this 120 year sentence could easily be completely overturned and all of the other people who have gone down like the seagram's heiress claire bronfman who basically bankrolled the whole organization could also come out and also people like nancy saltzman who's probably Um, She's happy to take her punishment and her daughter, both happy to take their punishments because they realized they were in the wrong and they have regretted what they were a part of now that they've seen the light. But at the end of the vow too, there was a civil rights lawsuit being brought against the Arizona jail where he was being kept. And they believe that they have a chance of overturning the conviction because there was evidence, they believe, of investigators planting evidence, which was shown by them going straight to his desk and looking under the desk, bypassing a loads of other places when they went to gather the evidence. And that was basically the Canon digital camera and camera card that they found. And with that, the investigators said there are only two pieces of digital evidence the government used to prove the child pornography and child exploitation. It was this camera and camera card. But their team said that he was being framed because the metadata on one of the photos shows it was manipulated in Adobe Photoshop and that the camera wasn't made until 2004. But their photo timestamps were from 2003. But like I said, I don't believe that he's photoshopped every single fucking one of those pictures or they have. And I also don't think they can manipulate the testimony, which was so similar across the line of all these young women and girls.
0: This is horrifying because if they have fucked up in procedure and this guy gets back out into the community, all of them them. will be released. Oh, my God. They are dangerous. They are dangerous people who are clever and crazy. You know,
1: their minds are – they're not right. No, I also think that it's very clear from the film Mm. that I've seen of Ranieri, not just people's interpretations of him, they're his own films, like Michelle said – There has been a lot of document. He liked everything documented because he loved himself. That's why he had a house full of women that were all taking turns sleeping with him. (laughs) And that's why he had houses elsewhere with young girls incarcerated to be his sex slaves and took all their virginities. He loved himself. He's a narcissist. He doesn't believe that he's in the wrong because that is the the fatal flaw of a narcissist. They can't see it in themselves. There is no hope for redemption. He will never change his ways.
0: I just hope that if for some reason it manages to escalate to the point where he could actually be released, that there will be some other kind of case brought against him because guys like that, are,
1: they're too dangerous.
0: Uh, too dangerous to be released into the community.
1: It must be very worrying for the victims mm. who feel that they've had their day in court, that they've won, yeah. that they have you know, been justified, their ill treatment, their years that they've given him, some of them their child-rearing years yeah. that they've given to Keith Ranieri and had nothing for it. I wonder how they're feeling right now. Probably not very good.
0: And probably a bit scared. Quite frightened. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I was telling you about the Dave Navarro story... And on the trailer, he says, this guy got away with it for eight years. Yeah. Eight years he was he was on the loose. And in those eight years, you know, the anger and rage that he felt inside I'm of him, sure. but also scared. Is he going to come after him? Yeah. I don't think that you can put a measure of what that does to a person. The not knowing. And for these girls to even have, who helped to put Keith Raniere behind bars, for them to feel like... I went through all of that potentially for nothing. I think we have no clue how that fucks with a person. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Amazing update, but really scary,
1: Jordi. Really scary. Scary stuff. Well, I apologise, listeners, for leaving it on such a dark note. (laughs) We've had some darkness in this episode. Yeah. Well, you know what? Whenever you're feeling a little bit dark and you want to lighten the mood, just have a little think about Ben Mendelsohn. (laughs) He's guaranteed to brighten anyone's day. I wish he'd directed me on my electric human forest bike. Oh, my God. Do you know what, though? I am going to put a link
0: because I have to say I was shocked. and couldn't stop laughing when I saw this Happy weird Ben Mendelsohn, like, and he's got a dough face. There's Joey face with his snot just like flipping into his mouth. Oh, it was intense. So I will link to the story with all the
1: photos. Please enjoy.
0: And look, I think Jordi, On that note, there's only really
1: one thing left to say, and that thing is, wherever you are, whatever you do, just, just keep,
0: keep, keep eavesdropping. eavesdropping.
1: E' dropping, each dropping, drop it, each dropping, drop it,
0: ease dropping, each dropping, drop it,
1: all day long, each dropping, this is a song.